And I want to spend a few minutes with you continuing on this subject of hope, the God of hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The God of hope is the God of a comeback. The God of hope is the God of a comeback. You don't need hope if things are smooth. You don't need to be encouraged in hope if there is not a challenge that's working to defeat hope in your life. We're looking at the life of Joseph. That's in the book of Genesis. But to get started this morning, we're going to go all the way to the, the last book in the Bible, the book of the Revelation and Revelation chapter 3. But before we go there, I, I want you to join with me in a word of prayer. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Those of you who are not trying to make this a litmus test of spirituality at all, and if you're not comfortable with this, don't do it. But those of you who are, I want, as we, as we pray, if you would just open your palms, just open your hands like this. It's a biblical posture of prayer, and it, it symbolizes surrender. I surrender. But it also symbolizes receiving. Receiving. Lord, will you just, I give it all to you. But Lord, would you place in my hands the hands of my heart, what you know I need today. Lord, we don't want to play any games with you. We, we don't want to waste any time playing a religious game, curtsying in your direction, genuflecting in your direction, just out of rote, just out of emotion, just out of a, out of a dry place. Lord, we, we come to you this morning surrendering our hearts to you, just saying, Lord, what we have is yours. Our past is yours. Our present is yours. Our future is yours. We lay it all down. We lay it all out. We surrender who we are and what we have to you. And then, Lord, we pray, even as we do that, that you will give us by, you will give to us this morning. You will, you will put into us, you will put into the, into the hands of our heart, you'll put into the very being of who we are what you know we need today. It's, it's this Sunday in December 2016. It's, it's, not, it's not five years ago. It's not 15 years from now. It's today. It is today, and you know all the things that are affecting us today. And you know where we're overloaded, Lord. You know where we're, where we're stretched thin. You, you, you know where we're excited. You know where we're blessed, but you also know where there are places of dread and, and confusion. We are your sheep, Lord. We, we're not our own. We, we are your sheep. We're the sheep of your pasture. You are our shepherd. And we ask you, Lord, this day to put within us, to give to us by your Spirit what you know we need. In the name that is above every other name, the name that guarantees our access into the heart of heaven, the name Jesus, the name Jesus, it's in his name we pray. And all the Lord's people said, amen, amen. I want you to find your way, please, to the last book in your Bible, just before the maps. Revelation chapter 3. 
and I want to read you a couple of verses, and then we're going to go straight from these couple of verses all the way back to the book of Genesis, and Genesis chapter 37 and following, and the life of Joseph. Here, here is what is spoken in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus is no longer suffering. He is no longer crushed. He's no longer afflicted. He's no longer under anybody else's authority. He has now, as he speaks these words to John, he's been given the name, the name Jesus, that is above every other name. The name before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. John is still alive. John is still on this earth, the youngest of the disciples. It's probably been 60 years or so since John, the youngest disciple, had seen Jesus. He records his first seeing of Jesus in the first chapter of the book of Revelation where he describes him as one whose appearance is like the sun shining in its strength with great authority, with great, with great power, with, with the character of, of God himself standing before him. And John's response was to just fall down on his face before the resurrected, exalted Jesus Christ. Then Jesus begins to give to him what would come to be known as the book of Revelation. It's how, it's how things will end before Jesus returns again, the conclusion of all things, and the new heaven and a new earth, and so forth. But in the first part of this book of Revelation that Jesus is giving to John to write down, he records seven messages to seven specific churches that were existent at the time that Jesus was giving this to John at the end of the first century, in the 90, 93, 95 A.D. Jesus crucified in 33 or so A.D. John has not laid eyes on Jesus again following the resurrection until now, 60 years or so later. Same Jesus, same heart, but now he's exalted. He's not humiliated. Now he's been reclothed with all of his authority and all of his power that he had with the Father before he emptied himself and came into Mary's womb and was born of the Virgin Mary and born as a man. He's no longer man. He's all God. He's full God, okay? And he's speaking these words to the Apostle John for our learning and our information this is Revelation chapter 3, and this is the letter that Jesus is dictating to John, giving to John to send to the church at Philadelphia. So here is what Jesus says, verse 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, he who is holy, speaking of himself, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds, and behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. I want you to back up 
Look at verse 7 again. He who is holy. The word holy can be a word that is hard for us to get our hands around, especially if it is primarily about no sin at all, absolute purity, which it is. It is those things. But here's why, when, when the Lord says he is holy, here's why it is also true that he's free from sin. It's because holy means free. If you want a synonym for the word holy that might be easier for you to get your hand around, at least it works for me, it's free. Jesus Christ is free from anything that would destroy, from anything that would be wrong, from anything that would be hurtful, free from any kind of dependency and need whatsoever. He is free, free from sin, free from the control of sin, free from the power of sin, free from Satan, free from time, free from the future, free from the past. He's just free. He's free. Now, here's what Jesus says about that. He says, I am holy, and I've called you to be holy. He's saying, I am free, and I'm calling you to walk in freedom. The result of freedom is freedom from some junk, freedom from some stuff. We can talk about freedom, and I remember in the 60s and 70s, freedom was all about being able to throw yourself into the drug culture, being able to free that like LSD would make you free, free like weed would make you free. The only problem with that, that ain't freedom. You look at the lives of the folks who have sold their soul to that definition of freedom, and they're way too old, way too young. Am I in here by myself? So what is called freedom isn't necessarily freedom at all if it is bondage, if it sucks life out of you, if it steals from you, if it works destruction in relationships and in personal opportunity and so forth. It's not, that's not freedom. But Jesus says he is free, the one who is free, free from the power of Satan, Free from the power of sin. Free from the power of wrong. That's holy. He who is holy, he who is true, says this. He who has the key of David. He who has the key of David. What is the key of David? There are only one or two places where that phrase is even mentioned in the Scripture. But it is generally believed by scholars who have poured over the subject that what Jesus is saying here is that that which was given to David in his earthly life, King David, was the opportunity, was, was, was the ability to open doors of opportunity where there would be resistance, where there would be, there would be uh, enemies that would be approaching him, surrounding him. Somehow he had the ability to escape their grasp or to destroy them as they came after him. When it was time for there to be the expansion of the kingdom, 
and there would be walled cities and armies trying to prevent the expansion. He somehow had a supernatural ability that was given to him to expand the kingdom and to move into opportunities that for others had been hindered. What it speaks of is earthly opportunity. And I'm, I'm just praying that that the young folks in here and the business folks in here and the, and the ones raising children in here and, and, and anybody else who's in here <laughs> will let this in. What he's saying is, I, Jesus, have the ability to open doors of earthly opportunity in the earthly realm, in the natural realm, in the financial realm, in the physical realm, in the emotional realm, in the academic realm, you name the realm, I have the key to open doors that nobody can close. And I have the ability to close doors that nobody can open. And he says on the basis of that, here's what I'm saying to my people. I've been watching you. I've seen your deeds. I've seen stuff you've been doing that nobody else may have been seeing because they weren't there. But I don't have to be there physically. I'm there invisibly, and I'm where you are. And I've seen some stuff. The word, I've seen your works, ergon. I, I, it, it means that I've seen the, the works of your hands. I've seen when you've been at your job. I've seen the works of your heart. I've seen the works of your mind. I've seen your works, and here's what I've seen. Here's what I've noticed, that you have little power. You have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. He didn't say you were Phi Beta Kappa at an Ivy League school. He didn't say that your last name was any of the last names that would immediately guarantee you entrance into levels of influence and power. He doesn't talk about name. He doesn't talk about graduation level or GPA. He doesn't talk about any of that. Here's what he says. The one who can open doors that nobody else can open. The one who can shut a door so nobody can even blow it open. Here's what he says. I've been watching you. And here's what I've seen. You have little power, but you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Therefore, on the basis of what I have seen in you, evidenced by the works that you have performed with your, with your brain, with your hands, with your heart, with your life, on the basis of that, I have set before you an open door which no man can close. Now what he says is it's an open door. That means you're going to have to get up off your blessed assurance, put one foot in front of the other, and walk through the door. You, I open it, you walk it. Uh, that's, that's a stomp, amen. Okay. 
Well, I just want God to bless me and just take me. He'll open a door, but you're going to have to walk it, sister. Brother, he will open a door, but the good thing is he's seen some things about your life before the door gets open that would indicate to him that when the time comes, you're going to be off and running because you've been faithful in the small things. You've been faithful in the shadows. You've been faithful in the hidden place. You've been faithful in the obscure place. And so when the opportunity comes for you to step out into the floodlights, step out on the stage that God has prepared, he knows you're ready. Now, Joseph is all about getting ready for prime time. Joseph took a long way around to make his way into the limelight. It would seem as if every opportunity that the Lord might have had to make it easier for Joseph in some ways, in some categories, the Lord just missed it. He just missed the opportunity, but he didn't miss it at all. Have you ever had that little old thing on your phone or your Garmin, that direction finding gizmo, and you punch in where you're supposed to be or where you want to get from where you are. And then you get to going down that road and then something happens and you, you take a turn and there's this woman that comes off, comes out of this thing and she starts talking to you and she starts saying, recalculate, 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 recalculate. I, she, I had that woman recalculating so many times I just tried to find the off button. I, I was so, I felt like she was frustrated because, and I'm frustrated that she's frustrated. Sometimes we can get to thinking that the Lord, when things come along that surprise us, Things come along that just don't seem like it's the way it goes for everybody else, but it's happening for us that the Lord must be up there in glory. Recalculate, 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 recalculate. He's not recalculating at all. The steps of a good man, the steps of a good one. Notice that's not perfect. It's not perfect. It's not completely right. Not hit every pitch over the fence. Steps of a good man, a good woman are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in that way. He delights in those steps. And when he falls, he will not be cast head over heels. He will not be cast headlong because it's the Lord who is holding the man's hand or the woman's hand. Now that's Joseph. You, you, you're going to be hard pressed to find any major biblical character that is listed in the scripture for a positive influence that is not going to have some season in their lives when it was like setback city. It was like if there, were, if there was ever going to be something significant to come out of this life other than tragedy or difficulty or conflict, it was going to take a major intervention of God to reverse what looked like the inevitable unending pattern of that Bible hero's life. I think that's just amazing about the scripture. It's amazing about the scripture that the Lord wants us to look in here and read this and realize there are normal people that there are folks with the same kind of struggles that we have that he used and he used mightily and he used them mightily when they knew and he knew they had little power, but they would keep his word and they would not deny his name. 
Now with Joseph, let's run back over here to Joseph. Grab Joseph. You can go ahead and turn to Genesis 37. If Joseph had listened to the whispers of hopelessness that had to be coming his way in a steady, dull thud like a pounding December rain that we've experienced at our house and our homes over these last it, it, it wasn't one great clap of thunder and one great 30 minutes of, of, of six inches of rain, but it would just keep coming, just keep coming, just keep this, this whisper, the whisper of hopelessness. Hopelessness doesn't always have a big mouth, but hopelessness just will seem to never want to shut up. And you have to, and Joseph had to, make a clear choice every day of his journey who he was going to listen to, what he was going to believe. The Lord, by his spirit, was able to encourage Joseph and help Joseph, but there was a human part of him that had been hurt, wounded deeply, rejected, abandoned, even criminal acts performed against him, sold into slavery. How was he going to make it? How was he going to keep going? How could he get through it? How could Joseph ever have a comeback? Well, it starts with refusing to listen to, refusing to accept as truth the whispers of hopelessness. Now, let me give you just a few of them, and a couple of Sundays ago we touched on these, but I, know I want to hit quickly the first couple, and then we'll go on to another couple to finish things up with this morning. But let, please, please just hear this. The first one, the first whisper of hopelessness. You don't have a father loving you, therefore you don't have a God loving you. Joseph was taken forcibly from the companionship, relationship, fellowship with his earthly father who loved him dearly and who Joseph evidently loved dearly. Forcibly taken from that union and that, that relationship and, and, and cast away, literally, as if never to be seen again by his, by his own brothers, by his own blood kin. But never was Joseph without his heavenly father's presence, without his heavenly father's influence, without his heavenly father's intervention. Now, folks, get this. Let this in. This isn't a real easy thing to say, but it's flat the truth. If you're praying, God, use me mightily. If you're praying, God, use, use my life to shake whatever needs to be shaken so that truth and right and life can come. Maybe it's the family line or your professional, your career, your whatever it would be. But if you're wanting God to do something radical through you, then understand that he will often employ radical means in order to accomplish a radical change. If you don't want anything to change, and sometimes we're not even aware that a change is needed. Joseph may not have been aware that a change was needed, but God was aware that a change was needed. And so he used, he allowed 
what the brothers did to work in the plan of moving the entire Israelite nation, 70 in all or 75, starting right here with, with Jacob's group, Joseph's family. But in order for them to survive, they were going to have to be moved to Egypt where there would be provision. And there they would flourish in the land of Goshen. And so when it came time, Moses, 400 years later, to lead them out, there were millions of them, it's estimated, who made the exodus. Seventy in all, heading to Egypt, following Joseph. And Joseph gets there, sold into slavery. Then he's bought. Then the woman of his the wife of his master comes on to him. He rejects her. She lies about what happens. He gets thrown in prison, and he's there to rot until he interprets a dream for a couple from the Pharaoh's inner circle. One of them finally remembers that Joseph interpreted the dream correctly for him, and he was restored to his position with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's needing a dream interpreted. It's just freaking him out that he doesn't know what this is saying, what this is saying, Joseph is, is remembered by, the, by the, the one whom he had interpreted the dream for years before, a couple of years before anyway. So there's a Hebrew youth in the prison who has an amazing ability to interpret dreams. So Pharaoh, sir, maybe this guy can help you. Pharaoh doesn't waste any time. He says, bring him him now. Get him here quick. They brought Joseph. Joseph hears the dream. Joseph says, if it's going to be interpreted, God will have to give it to me. God gave it to him. Pharaoh's so impressed that he says, where are we going to find a man who can implement these things that you're seeing that are coming? The seven years of famine and the seven years of, or plenty, and then the seven years of famine. And then he kind of looks around the room quickly and says, ain't anybody else like this with that kind of a spirit, that kind of a heart here? On the spot, Pharaoh looks at that young man who's fresh out of jail spent the last night in the big house, called to the penthouse. And the Pharaoh says, you're the one I choose. You step into the, you will be second only to me in the entire nation of Egypt. No one can tell you what to do but me. You are in charge of it all. You implement your plan. You implement your dream. Joseph, the original comeback kid, how did he get his comeback? Was it because he was so smart? Was it because he was so, so much with a personality that he just wanted people? He's a quick talker, smooth talker. No. It was because the God of Revelation chapter 3, who is Jesus Christ, who holds the key of David, who opens and nobody can shut and who shuts and nobody can open, stuck that key into Pharaoh's heart, who didn't know Joseph from Adam's house cat, and opened the door of his heart. And that door opened, and Joseph was invited in. Folks, listen, listen. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. It doesn't matter who doesn't know your name. It doesn't matter how much time has passed. The God 
who holds the key of David has the power for you to open doors for you that nobody can shut. And close doors, listen to this, close doors for your protection. Keep you out of some bad deals that you were dumb enough to want to swallow whole hog. When he shuts the door and the door stays shut, the older we get in walking with this Jesus, the more we find ourselves saying, I don't know what I was spared from, Lord, but I know it must have been something. And I thank you for what didn't happen to me that could have happened to me if I had walked through that door that looked so good. Thank you for slamming it in my face. He opens so nobody can close. Now, I got to say to you, we live in a capitalistic system and society, and we build, we're all about building businesses and, 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 and wanting to progress and so forth. And, and you, you have the food chain, you want to climb up corporately and so forth. But will you please, my brother and my sister, will you listen to this? Will you let this in? If God knows your name and God is pleased with you, not that you're perfect, but that you know there's a weakness about it. You're not stuck on yourself. You're not so filled, I can do it, I can do it. Just show them, give me the explanation. You know, give me the, give me the instruction manual. I may read it, I may not. But I'm tough enough, I'm bad enough, I'm big enough, I'm smart enough. I can do it, I can do it. Little bitty God, little great big me. If that's not you. And in your heart, it's a little bitty you and great big God. Can I say that again? It's little bitty me. But great big God, who can't be stopped at anything, and though he's silent, that doesn't mean he's absent. He doesn't have to talk all the time. He doesn't have to have everybody praising him and giving him all the credit. He's honored when from a low heart, a humble heart, a quiet heart, not stuck on itself but still confident and trusting this way. That you're weak. He knows that I'm weak. But listen to this. Listen to this. He's watched you. He has been every place you have been. Not just Sunday morning church. Every place your feet have taken you. Every phone call you have answered and responded to. Every text, every email, everything pictured on a computer screen or a TV screen, he's been there. He's seen that. He knows the ins and outs of all of that. And he knows where in the hidden place, the obscure place, as well as in the more public place, he knows that you have sought to keep his word. To keep his word. The woman comes after Joseph. He has a choice. He can temporarily self-medicate by getting in bed with her. 
temporarily self-medicate where he's been rejected, where he's been abandoned, where he doesn't necessarily, he's going to prove that he's somebody, here's somebody's wife, I'm going to, I can have her and prove that I'm something, I'm a man. You had that opportunity. But I'm telling you, somewhere that young guy, virile, full of life, a man like every other man, some way he knew she didn't hold the key to his future. That the one who held the key to his future was the one described in Revelation chapter 3. I hold the keys of David. And I've been watching you. I've been there. I've seen that. I've heard that. I've been watching it. You have kept my word. Little power. You kept my word. And you haven't denied my name. You haven't denied my character. You haven't denied who I am, what I stand for. By your choices and by your actions. And on the basis of that, I've set before you. I've set before you, Joseph. I've set before you. Now, I know your brothers abandoned you. I know they thought you're not worth having around. They don't want to live life with him in the, in the equation. I know what they did to you. I know you were sold into slavery. I know who bought you. I know what the woman tried. And I know you're staying. And I know you're in jail. But you're making a pretty good prisoner. You're a slave. You're a slave, but you've been a good slave. Joseph would describe as someone who has a slave owned by another human that he became, get this, and the word is, he became a successful man. As a slave, he became a successful man. You're not going to be a success only when you get to Pharaoh's right hand, if you haven't lived to be a success wherever you are right now. Do you understand that? Now, I feel like sometimes I'm talking like a, like a father, to ch- father to children of love. Uh, that we got this, this, this crazy, self-destructive entitlement mentality that is just racking ruin in younger generations today thinking, well, I got my MBA. What are my benefits, Apple? Well, you haven't you have proved yourself that you can drive your car and find the right parking place. And you want to know what your benefits are? Excuse me. Earn it. Prove that you're worth your pay. And, and okay, that, boy, that rabbit jumped up and I, boom, I, I didn't hit him. I just shot over his or her head. But, I, well, I'm a slave. I'm a slave. I can't prove myself as a slave. Joseph did. And God saw how well he proved himself. He was a blessing to the man, get this, not just who he worked for. He was a blessing to the man who owned him. Owned him. He was a blessing. The Lord said, and it's, he's not going to break the rules for this generation or some other generation or for you or for me. You make yourself faithful in little things, and I will cause you to be faithful in much. But you sleep through the little things, you blame out the little things, you, you, you waste away the little thing opportunities, and you'll never see 
a broader day, brighter day. He said, well, God, where are you? God, well, you left me when you slept in and wouldn't be on time for work. It got real quiet. But that, that, I'll help you. I'll be with you. I'll prosper you where you are. But, but, but work. I want to bless the work of your hands, not the sleep of your sleep. The lazy of your lazy. I'll bless the work of your hands. And he did. Joseph did. So as a slave, then as a prisoner. I'm in the prison. I don't know what can I do. Why should I help anybody? We're just, just all, it's just all toast from here. It's just all down here. He was successful as a prisoner. The jailer turned everybody over to Joseph. And the jailer had an easy street because everybody answered to Joseph. How did that happen? It's because Joseph proved himself as a trustworthy man. I've seen the Lord saying, I've been watching. Here's what I know. You're weak. You don't have a lot of strength. Not everybody knows you, Joseph, here. You're still a young man. You're weak. But you've kept my word. And you've not denied my name. You've not denied. You know what? So here's what you get, Joseph. For all of that time of obscurity, for all of that time of wondering and missing family and missing familiarity and, and, and deprivation, here's what you get, Joseph. That's put steel into your soul. One of the verses in the Old Testament talks about Joseph was bound with chains of iron until the iron entered his soul. The iron of right living, the iron of right choices, the iron of right doing. And here's what you get, Joseph. Pharaoh has a dream. Where'd the dream come from? Excuse me. Where'd the dream come from? You get to think, well, well I, my, 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 the echelons in my company, my corporate structure is so high up, I'd take you out. Know, they're not even God can figure out who, who does what. When it comes to his child, when it comes to you, you are top priority. The scripture says you are as the apple of his eye. You're as a fingerprint on his hand. He knows you. He loves you. He knows his plan for you. And he knows where you're to be. And as we walk that out, in his time and in his way, the doors of opportunity, he sees fit to open in his timing and in his way. See, sometimes we got to know little for a long time, so, can we, so we can appreciate a lot when it comes. Because if we didn't have little for a long time, we would think that the lot when it comes was due to my abilities and my smart and my connections, etc., 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 etc. Here's what I saw in you, Joseph. I saw in you little strength, and you understood your little strength. But even in your little strength, that didn't make you turn away from my word. You kept my word. In your place, in your square, in your cubicle, at your desk, you kept my word. And you didn't deny my name. Oh, listen, I'm talking to somebody. 
I'm talking, you may not know who you are. You may still think you're so far back in the crowd, you know, back in that, that my, I had kin folks in, in Mississippi. Uh, you all know that. But, but we, I, I, had some, I had some kin folks that raised chickens in South Mississippi. Now, I'm not talking about a hen house or chicken house with maybe eight or 10 or 12 layers and you got four or five roosters working the hen. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I'm talking about a warehouse size chicken house. 30, 40, 50,000 chickens in one of them at one time. Five, you talk about, you talk about crazy to think you're going to sleep in on some morning down in South Mississippi when there are about 15,000 roosters going off all at the same time. You look out across that sea of chicken heads. There's just a sea of them. And sometimes we can feel like, well, that's me. I'm on the, I'm on the back row of the back row of 60,000 people. There's nothing special about me. I'm just one little old chicken head in the middle of 60,000 others. No, you're not. Now, you can buy that and believe that. That's who you are if you choose to. But here's what God says about you. That you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before your mother ever felt you kick, God knew you and chose you and picked you out for his delight for his purposes, for his pleasure. You have never been abandoned. You have never been an orphan. You have never been rejected. You have never been lost to your father's love. Now, I know, you know, with some of you, I'm just talking to this water bottle. That's who you are. 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 And some of you leave here and go back home and live life and face days and live under the influence of what other people have said about you till the day you die, unless you decide that I'm going to just test the truth in what that man up there is sweating and saying. Lord, will you help me to get it? If you love me, if there are plans for me, open my heart, show me. I want to believe that. I need some help believing it. Now get ready for this. Husbands, reach over and contain your wife. Do not let her throw her purse when I say that. But here's what can happen. When you say, Lord, I want to know your love for me. Watch him show you how much he loves you in the middle of, in the face of, human rejection. Where it rises up within. The ones who have thought you were worthless, like Joseph's brothers, we don't want to live any more of our lives with you being around, therefore we will ditch you, get rid of you, expunge you from the family. They may never change. You knowing God's love for you is not predicated upon people who despise you, rejected you, hated you, them changing their mind about you. They may stay that way for all eternity. But even and especially, especially with that in place. In that context, 
of that kind of rejection, the love of God for your soul that is not tied to a person's attaboy, a person's approval, but just from deep within you there comes this sense rising up within you. I'm loved by my Father. I don't understand it. I hadn't earned it. There's rejection here, but... But the love of God, that's what Paul would say in Romans 5, the love of God being shed abroad in your hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. The love of God being shed abroad. He will show you how much he loves you in the context of how despicable you may be in the eyes of other people. Because he wants you to know the difference. That what they feel about you is not how he feels about you. What they think about you is not true of how he feels about you. The necessity of a contrast. The difference between cold and hot, light and dark, love and non-love. He'll meet you as he did Joseph, somehow, some way. And this was before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which Christians today, who Christians today now experience and rejoice in, he abides in us. But Joseph somehow was able to know and was able to trust the God he couldn't see, even when there was a woman saying, come here, honey. And because it was in his heart to want to do what was right in the sight of the God who had the key. That he didn't walk into her bedroom. She didn't hold the key that his God held. And if he went down, he was going to go down trusting the God who we believe held the key. So down he went into the slammer for doing right. For doing right. But isn't that something? How the Lord has a way of working his children, his young'uns, his chosen ones, through the back door. I mean, Joseph, Joseph wasn't royalty. Joseph didn't have royal blood. Beyond that, he was a Hebrew. He was of Jewish background. That, that, it was, it was, the, the, the Egyptians, when Joseph's brothers showed up, finally, the Egyptians were so disgusted, ethnically disgusted by the Hebrews that they wouldn't even eat in the same room with Joseph's own brothers. But somehow in the middle of all that eth ethnic bias, God put it in Joseph, in, in Pharaoh's heart to give Joseph a pass. This wasn't just somebody who wasn't any old Egyptian. This was a despised ethnicity and Joseph was the personification of a despised ethnicity. But Pharaoh saw something in the despised ethnic member named Joseph that he didn't see in any of his other helpers. Even though there was an, an ethnic bias, God overcame that bias. God opened the door. God opened the door. God opened the door. Not Pharaoh, not Joseph not Potiphar's wife. When you sell your soul to somebody or something that can't open the doors of earthly opportunity for you the way the Lord can, you, you have just stepped into a trap 
T-R-A-P, all capitals, font number 40. It's a trap. It looks good, smells like it's a temporary, you know, nice little thing. But it's a trap. The fear of man bringeth a snare. The desire to have the respect, the approval of people is a snare. You know what a snare is? They catch them, catch coyotes with snares in South Texas. They stick their foot in a loop and it grabs them. Still alive, it's not instant death, but they can't go anywhere. Some of the coyotes get so upset about it, they gnaw their foot off. They run off. You see a three-legged coyote, he's been caught in a snare. Do you want to be, <laughs> you want to be a three-legged coyote? <laughs> no. No, so we stay out of the snares. We stay away from the traps. How do we stay away from the traps? There is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is destruction. I have come, Jesus said, that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly, super abundantly. That's what he wants for you. That, that's how a comeback can be engineered from heaven for your life. You determine, Lord, to the best of my ability. I understand I'm weak. I'll do my best, but I know I'm limited. I know I'm not smart, as smart as a, some folks know they are. And my abilities are limited. I know I'm weak. I need you. But, oh, God, help me in this job today. Help me in this relationship today to keep your word, to do what is right as far as your word has instructed and then, Lord, help me, help me to always honor your name, to honor your name. You can't honor his name and use his name in vain. You hear me? You say, oh, I didn't mean it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you didn't mean it, you wouldn't say it. It just begins there. It just begins there. I will honor your name by not taking your name in vain. I'm around a lot of different men. I'm around a lot of situations in different settings. Sometimes I'll, I'll be asked by folks, when I, and, and, you know, I live a lot of my life out away from here in a church setting, and I love that part because I don't feel like I'm supposed to be telling you how to do something if I'm not trying to engage the culture, engage people. I'll have, I'll, I'll have people, men sometimes say, well, well, what do you do for a living? And I said, what do you think I do? And I let them answer. I just stand there. And I've had all kinds. <laughs> never, never, never is it preacher. For which I'm grateful. I, I, you got to look sick sometimes to look like a preacher. You got to, you know, I mean, you, you got to look like you can't do anything else, I guess. But at the same time as that is going on, without it being preacher, preacher, that there, are, there are some drop-dead things in my relationship with men. And I don't advocate this of everybody. You've got others that you work with. But there's profanity. There are four-letter words. And then there's taken the name of my Savior, who died naked, beaten beyond recognition, on a cross 2,000 years ago for my sins before I was ever born. He loved me 
enough to make provision for what he knew I would mess up doing in my life, and he made provision for me to be forgiven of that before I was ever born, before my parents were ever born. And I'll stop them. Let me tell you about his, let me tell you about that one you just, let me tell you who he is. And I'm fully prepared for them to cock something or to turn around and walk out. That's just me. But I feel, Lord, Lord, who will stand up for your name in my day? Okay, I, I'm not asking for anything on that. I don't even know why I told you that. But, but it's just that the reality is that his name, the name of Jesus, the Christ of Nazareth, means something to you. You're not ashamed of who he is. You're proud of who he was. The high and mighty in your life may disdain him, but you love him and stand up for him. You own his name and whatever shame may come with it. Let her rip. And here's the why. The high and mighty overnight the stock market can crash and the family can, the, the, the company can crater. But the one who holds the key of David is not affected one iota by what happens in Wall Street, by what happens in international shenanigans on this planet, by the lies and the cheats and the whatever that can go on in corporate America. He is unmoved. He's unmoved. And he is the lover of your soul. If you honor him, he will honor you. 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 Period. Okay, I'm done. One, just, just let me say this. Where are you? in Joseph's journey. You've been rejected. Or maybe you're still the fair-haired kid. You know, nothing really bad has happened yet. Hang on, we'll meet next week. <laughs> See how it goes. It, it, but have you been rejected? Have you been abandoned? Have you been lied against? Does it seem as if life is passing you by? Time is passing you. then what do you believe about your God? That he has rejected you? That he has forgotten you? That time is passing and he's allowing it for no purpose, for no future? <laughs> or do you somewhere down inside of you have this thing working? that even though there's rejection and it hadn't been fixed, there's acceptance and it's getting stronger. <laughs> and 
If, even, though, even though time is passing and nothing seems to happen, time is passing and I'm getting closer to whatever it is God has for me. You're going to be on one or two tracks. One is dismal and one is discouraging. The other is unexplainable joy and anticipation and satisfaction with life. You're happy now. You're grateful now. Joseph had carried himself in some kind of countenance that he, he even noticed when the, when, the, when the baker and the cupbearer from Pharaoh looked disheartened, looked discouraged. He, he even noticed that they were discouraged. He was a prisoner. Why, why wouldn't everybody be discouraged? Joseph evidently wasn't in prison and was living his life <laughs> doing his best, trusting the one who holds the keys. It's incredibly simple. You have one person to please as a child of God. Please him. And as you please him, you will be a good worker You'll be a team player. You'll be honest. You'll be productive for your company, your organization, as you please him. But he's the one you're pleasing. Bad boss, knuckleheaded co-workers, and all. Who holds your key? The woman with the bedroom key? Who holds your key? The man to please, the situation, or is it this one? Let him prove his love for you. Let him prove his ability to open doors in his time, in his time. Okay.